Wisdom Podcast. My name is Holly Weaver, and I'm the owner and operator of Rosebud Wellness, where I practice women's holistic health, utilizing acupuncture, Chinese herbalism, yoni steaming, and Arvigo abdominal massage. And I'm also a new mama. This podcast will be part information on women's holistic health practices that I use in my practice, and part conversations with women who are mothers or hope to be mothers on their journey through menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and motherhood. Please enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is brought to you in part by the Rosebud Wellness Shop. You can find us over at rosebudwellness.com shop. On the shop, you'll find six different Yoni Steam herb blends for a variety of different conditions. You can read specifically about all of the ingredients that are in the herbal blends, what you would use them for, and some specifics about the days of your cycle that you would use the herbs. There's also a video for an at-home steaming guide so that you can feel confident that you know what you're doing before you embark on this journey. But if you also don't feel so comfortable just starting on your own, you can also sign up for a consult with me, which is also available at the shop. So go ahead and check out rosebudwellness.com shop. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Womb Wisdom Podcast. This week, I have a really, really cool, interesting, unique story brought to you by Jennifer Asher. She has just recently written a book called Journey to My Daughter, and she shares about that in this episode and has a really interesting twist to her story that I didn't realize before I spoke with her. So please enjoy this episode with Jennifer. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with Jennifer Asher, and she is a mama, which I just found out to three children. I was thinking that she only had one daughter that she adopted, but she has a, a really rich story to share with us today. So welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So um, to start out, I usually like to ask women about their menstrual cycle history. So if you can just give us a sort of synopsis of how it was, um, when you got your first period, what it was like, if you had a lot of pain or regularities. We talked about a little bit, um, but if there's anything that you want to share about that for the listeners. Um, I don't think it was particularly remarkable. I think I started getting my period kind of early, around 10, although I don't remember exactly. Um, And then as far as regularity, um, I think it was relatively regular, um, but my periods were very, very light and always had been through my entire life. Um, You know, later I had an IUD, so they were even lighter. But um, from from the time I was young, they were very, very light. So, and when you had an IUD, you never were on birth uh, birth control pill? I was for a short time in my 20s. Okay. And that didn't seem to impact your period at all? Not really. It was still really light. It had yeah. always been really light. So I didn't really think much of it. Right. And then you had an IUD that was a hormonal IUD or was it the copper IUD? It was a hormonal one um, that um, I had until just very recently um, after my third child was born. Okay. And no issues with that either? Um, Not until recently, no. Yeah. Okay. 
cool. And so um, one of the things that I found interesting about your story is that you mentioned that you weren't always sure that motherhood was in the cards for you. And then it was something that kind of came and then became an obsession for you. So maybe you can talk us through that journey of, um, you know, what you thought about motherhood prior to wanting to become a mother and how you made that transition. Well, when I was young, I, I never really liked kids, even when I was one, um, you know, I was like five years old and looking to the, you know, the junior high kids going, I want to be like that. I want to be grown up. I never really had much patience for kids my own age. Um, as I was growing up and then as a teenager, I had a few friends, but not very many. They tended to be kind of the intellectual types. Um, and then even when I was a teenager, like I babysat a little bit when I absolutely had to, but I just had no tolerance for children. And that continued all through my 20s. I just, I couldn't understand when my friends were having kids. I was like, I, I don't, I don't understand. They're expensive. They're annoying. They take up all your time. What are you thinking? And um, it was a single occurrence when I was 29. Um, I had a close friend who was turning 30. And I, I went, she was a friend of mine at, at the barn where I rode my horses and I came in for her birthday and I brought her a gift and I said, ha ha, you have to be 30. And she said, well, you're going to have to be 30 in a year. And I was like, what? I'm like, that's what comes after 29. Are you kidding? And <laughs> I was like, I went into like a funk that whole day. I walked around going, oh my God. I remember when my mom was 30, she had three kids. She was like an adult. Now I got married when I was 21. So I've been married for eight years at this point, but I was kind of playing around. Like I, my career wasn't particularly serious. I had gone down to working part-time. I was playing with my horses a lot of the time. I, I had a great life. I loved, you know, what I was doing, but obviously there was something missing. And it wasn't until I was faced with, you're going to be 30 next year, that I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? And at that point, I, it was, at that point, it wasn't even that I decided, oh, I wanted a baby. It was that I wanted something different. Something's missing. And all my kids were having babies. So I said, you know, maybe I just need to try it. I mean, the, no, nobody seems to regret it after they do it. Um, so maybe we need to do that. And I went home to my husband and I said, you know, I've been thinking and I think we need to have a baby. And he was like, hell no. We, we made this agreement before we got married. You made me agree that we were never going to have kids. And I kind of changed the whole book of my life and mentally that I was never going to have kids. And you can't just like change your mind. And I said, well, I did. And so he, at first he said, absolutely not. No way. And I said, well, you know, I'm just not happy with my life. I think I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school for psychology and I was in a graduate program for psychology. And of course I was learning about childhood development and I was taking parenting classes and I was taking, you know, family family therapy classes. And I was like, you know what, we, we need to do this. And so, you know, I kind of tried to be subtle. And finally he was like, okay, I guess you're not giving this up. I guess I'm not going to win. <laughs> so I guess we'll try it. Um, so that's what happened. Um, and then it, it did, it became kind of a mission like, okay, I've decided this is what my life needs and we're going to have a baby come hell or high water. Yeah. <laughs> so then once you made that decision um, to start trying to get pregnant, what did that look like for you? Um, I know that you had some trouble getting pregnant. So maybe you can talk about that 
experience and, and what happened there. Well, and I actually had no trouble getting pregnant at all. In fact, this was another fight with my husband was when I, when we agreed to this, I said, look, we're not that young anymore. You know, you're in your thirties, I'm going to be 30 and it's probably going to take a while. You know, I mean, we're probably not, you know, it's probably going to take at least six months to get married or to get pregnant. And he said, and he was like, fine, I guess I'll have time to get used to the idea. And lo and behold, like 10 days later, I was practicing with pregnancy tests and I was pregnant. And he was like, wait a minute, I don't even get to have the fun part of this. And he, um, so I had no trouble getting pregnant at all, um, but I did um, end up suffering a miscarriage. Um, I don't, I, it's hard to say, you know, people always ask, well, how far along were you? Um, what happened with me was that I had an ultrasound. They, they thought my uterus felt large and I did an ultrasound. I want to say at about eight weeks or nine weeks and everything looked fine, but, but they had to rule out twins. Um, so they told me to come back a few weeks later. When they came back, they said that there just hadn't been sufficient growth. Um, now, in my mind, again, I was hell-bent on this was happening. I did not believe it. And I was like, well, it's just a small baby. You don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I went back, you know, my doctor said, okay, well, you can just wait to miscarry. Um, and I went back for another ultrasound, um, which showed the same, you know, I waited about two weeks. I think she asked me to, to wait a couple weeks. And then I went back for a, another ultrasound and they said there just hadn't been, there'd been very, very little growth. Um, so again, in my head, I wouldn't believe this. So I refused to schedule a DNC. And um, then it went on for another two weeks. And my doctor said, okay, you know, essentially you're walking around with dead tissue in your body. You, you have to have a DNC. So I said, all right, but I, I want you to do one more ultrasound just to be sure. So I was in complete denial. Um, so she did. And, uh, and then I had a DNC and um, immediately all I um, could think about was, okay, well, when can I get pregnant again? Um, so I waited, I don't remember exactly how long I had to wait. I want to say a couple months. And then I went to my husband and said, okay, it's time to do this again. And he was like, you want to do that again? Do you not remember how miserable you were? And I said, it's not going to happen again. It was a fluke. It wasn't a big deal. Um, and he said, all right, we can try it one more time, um, which we did. And then I miscarried, I believe it was about 11 weeks um, into the second pregnancy. And so was it the same situation that you had to have another DNC or? No, I just no. started bleeding. Yeah. Okay. And so um, were you, when you were trying to get pregnant and it sounds like you were very successful in, in getting pregnant. So you were pretty aware of the times that you're fertile and the times that you're not within your cycle or were you using you know, any method? You know, I, um, yeah. I mean, I wasn't overly aware of it. I mean, I knew in general, I had read books, but I, again, it happened so fast that it wasn't really an issue. Yeah. So did you, did you ever observe that cervical mucus or cervical fluid, like that yeah. egg white type? Yeah. I think I did. I mean, it was a long time ago now, but um, I, I remember, I remember talking with my friends about it more than I remember actually paying that much attention to it. Because again, it just, it just didn't, you know, 
it just didn't come into play because I got pregnant so quickly. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so then after the second the second miscarriage, mm -hmm. um, then you and your husband decided that you weren't going to try to conceive anymore and that you were then going to adopt. Is that how? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and, yeah, I don't remember if we actually discussed extensively adoption. For me, it was not about giving birth to a baby. It was about, I wanted to try being a mother. Um, so I think there might've been like a one sentence discussion when we had the discussion about trying to get pregnant a second time. And I think I said, okay, well, I guess if that doesn't work, we'll just adopt. And, you know, he kind of said, yeah, whatever. And so the day that I did miscarry, um, I wrote about it in the book, um, kind of in, in somewhat of detail. And I was in a mall and I started bleeding and my husband, you know, brought me home and I went to bed and I woke up around midnight and I was like, okay, we're adopting. And I went to the office and I was up all night researching adoption company agencies and writing down all their names and phone numbers so that I could call them first thing Monday morning. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't a big, for us, it wasn't a big decision process. Um, I know for a lot of people it is. Um, for us, and I don't really know why in retrospect, there was never a discussion of we really wanted to have a biological baby. We never, we never looked into in any way at all. We never looked into surrogacy or anything like that. It just wasn't a priority. We kind of um, felt like, okay, you know, we can't have one biologically. We'll save somebody else's baby. And we really were very focused on wanting to give a child a good home that wouldn't otherwise have one. Yeah. So how, how does that work exactly? Do you have like a, I want this age child from this area or um, do they just call you with children that are in need of a home or yeah, well, maybe you can tell us how your journey went. What happened for us was that we, we, you know, I started looking at, I was very both my husband and I felt pretty strongly about not wanting to do a domestic adoption. Domestic adoptions usually um, they match a family with a birth mother who's pregnant. And we both felt very strongly that, especially after the two miscarriages, we didn't want to become emotionally attached to a pregnant birth mother and then have her change her mind after giving birth. Mm -hmm. um, we felt like that was going to be too much for us emotionally. So we decided to look internationally. Um, and, you know, again, that night um, I started looking and it seemed like um, the healthiest babies were from um, were from China. So we decided we wanted to go to China and, um, I started researching Chinese programs and, um, it, it's kind of funny because people have asked me for examples in my book. And this is what I generally go to is that I really wanted to be a mom, like immediately. That was my priority. My priority was to, um, was to, to have, have a child and be a mother as quickly as possible. That was my number one most important thing. And for whatever reason, I got it stuck in my head that we wanted to go to China. Well, that's great. And Chinese adoptions are wonderful and they're very, you know, healthy children and they are, they definitely are in need of homes. Um, they had that one, I don't, I don't think they have it anymore, but they had that one child rule in China. Yeah. Um, but the government absolutely regulated all of their adoptions. So I started calling adoption agencies and all of them said, you know, it's like a two year wait. 
to adopt a child from China. And I was convinced, I was hell-bent on, absolutely, there's got to be a way around this. There's got to be a back door. There's got to be a shortcut. There's got to be a way that I can get a child sooner. Um, and I finally, um, one of the agencies that I spoke to um, said, well, have you considered Vietnam? And I said, no. Um, <clears throat> and in the United States, there's a horrible connotation, just saying the word Vietnam, everyone only thinks of the war. It's like the only thing anybody knows about Vietnam. I think now there's a little bit of awareness about Vietnamese food, but other than that, um, you say the word Vietnam and people think to the war. So I said, no, I never considered Vietnam. And she said, well, they have a similar situation to China in that it's a very poor country and there's a lot of children available for adoption. However, it doesn't go through the central government and therefore um, adoptions can happen much quicker. And I was like, aha, the back door I was looking for. Um, but it took a lot for me to get to that point because I never actually even researched other countries besides that first day when I, you know, kind of haphazardly looked and said, oh, it looks like China is where we want to go. And I was going to, you know, hit my head against a wall until we adopted from China, until this one woman said, oh, let's consider Vietnam. So, and there is, you know, every country that you can adopt from, which I learned through the journey and through the process. And, and later in my book, after I ended up going to Vietnam, every country has its its pluses and minuses and its and its rules and and um, there's different costs to, to going to different countries there's different travel requirements going to different countries the timing is definitely different um, so it just depends on what is kind of the priority for the family a lot of families want a child that's going to look like them and really only want to consider a Caucasian child and they end up going to um, one of the Eastern European countries like Russia um, for us, the culture in Russia um, doesn't lead to the healthiest babies. There's a lot of um, alcoholism and it's not really considered taboo to drink during pregnancy in Russia. So there's a lot of fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome, which we wanted to avoid. Um, and the race of our child wasn't particularly important to us. So, um, but it's different for everyone. Um, I worked as an adoption consultant later, and that's what I tended to tell people was, you need to figure out what's the most important thing to your to your family. I mean, everyone can say, oh, I mean, if you asked most, most adoptive families in the United States, what they would say they want is, oh, they'd like an inexpensive, um, you know, an inexpensive situation with a Caucasian girl and they want it to happen quickly and it wouldn't require much travel, of course, but that doesn't really exist. So you have to decide what's most important. For some people, it's um, that they have a limited amount of finances and they simply can only afford certain countries or certain situations. For others, they feel absolutely they only want a girl. For some, it's absolutely they only want a certain race. Um, it just depends. For me, it was, I want to be done as fast as I can be done. <laughs> so, um, so it sounds like your, your daughter, you, um, she was born in Vietnam. She was not, oh. um, actually. <laughs> and that's kind of the whole story of the book, which okay. is, it was, it was kind of a crazy story. I ended up going to Vietnam. We decided to adopt from Vietnam. I went there and everything went wrong. Um, from, I was given a referral for a child and, um, the way it works is that you get 
or for, for a child, you get a little tiny picture of that child's face and you're given all the details about them. And then you, for, for Vietnam, there were different, there were different processes, but um, in some provinces you had to go twice um, and the family had to submit all the paperwork and then come back in a month to, to get the child. Um, other provinces, you could just go once. You could get all your, your um, paperwork authenticated and submitted to the Vietnamese embassy in the United States, and then just go once and have a giving receiving ceremony and get your child while you're there. For us, um, they asked us if we could go twice and my husband could not because he um, couldn't take off of work twice. But I went, they said, well, only one parent needs to go on the first trip to submit the paperwork. So I went by myself. I had been given this referral for this little girl named Viet. And I got there and I was told the facilitator was gonna pick me up. People, people ask, well, what do you mean everything went wrong? Well, the facilitator was supposed to pick me up at the airport. There was nobody there to pick me up. And of course I hadn't asked, you know, I knew the name of my hotel, thank goodness, but I hadn't asked the name of the facilitator or how I would get in touch with her if she wasn't there. It didn't occur to me that she wouldn't be there because they just said, okay, we've got all your flight information. The facilitator will pick you up at the airport. Well, she wasn't there. So fortunately I had the hotel name. I was able to get myself to the hotel. Um, and then I found out, I went on email and my husband sent me an email saying, the agency is trying to reach you. There's a problem with the baby. It turned out the baby that I was going for, her name was Viet, had hepatitis B. And they hadn't, you know, they, it was very common in the Asian countries. I don't know if it still is. And they said, you don't want to try to bring a baby back to the United States with hepatitis B. Um, we have a different baby for you. And I said, okay, um, I've become very attached to this baby, but um, okay. And then the next day we went to get all my paperwork authenticated at the embassy. And um, they said, well, you've got two babies' names on here. And they said, and I said, oh yeah, well, the facilitator said it was fine. The other baby was sick. And they were like, no, no, no we can't, uh, this paperwork is now null and void because you've crossed out the baby's name. You need to get all new paperwork from the United States. So, I mean, everything that could go wrong went wrong. Um, and then after I went home, um, I, I ended up going to an orphanage, falling in love with the baby, all kinds of stuff happened. Um, and I went home and then they terminated all the adoptions in Vietnam um, after I got home. And um, because there was... Why, yeah, why was that? There was, there was investigations. The INS was investigating Vietnam and they were, um, they were suspecting that there was corruption in the system. And I just happened, the timing was not good. I just happened to be there when they were investigating this. And they ended up, well, our agency terminated all the adoptions in Vietnam when I got home. And then later that year, uh, the government, the US government terminated all, they, they just stopped doing adoptions in Vietnam. They've since reopened, but I think they were closed for a couple of years. Um, so the, the story in the book is that then we went and did paperwork for like five different countries. We said, all right, we're gonna do whatever happens quickest. And we did all the paperwork for Kazakhstan and Cambodia and um, a specific program in Russia and China and um, and we submitted everything. Um, in the meantime, I was calling every agency I could find in that, you know, I could find a number four in the United States, whether they did domestic or international. And when they did domestic, I would say, well, do you ever deal with babies that are already born? Um, and they all said the same thing. They said, almost never. We just almost never get those situations. They're very uncommon. And I said, well, please take my name and phone number just in case you do. 
Um, and what happened was that one of those agencies ended up having a Vietnamese couple driving through Oklahoma, which is where she was born and gave birth to this baby. They didn't have an adoption plan. And in their bank of families, they didn't have anyone willing to take an Asian child. So they remembered, their receptionist remembered talking to me and because I would tell, I talk a lot and I would tell everyone this whole story about how I went to Vietnam and then they closed all the, the adoptions and, and it was just a disaster. And she said, well, this lady went to Vietnam. So obviously she's okay with an Asian baby. And um, she dug my number out of the back of the carbon message book that I had made her write down my phone number and called me and said, hey, can you get to Oklahoma tonight? <laughs> and that's, that's how we found our child. That's amazing. And, and that's why I wrote it all down. <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. And so um, Jennifer has written a book called Journey to My Daughter. Yes. Right. And it's, it's not out yet. It's not available to purchase yet, but in December, is that right? Um, it will be published in December. We're okay. doing a 30 day pre-sale campaign that actually starts next week, starts uh, July 22nd. Cool. Yeah. And so is that link would be on the, the website? It would be on my website um, okay. or on any of my social media. Um, it's not active yet. It will be on Indiegogo, that campaign. Um, it's actually a really, really cool opportunity because it's not just pre-ordering the book. It's actually giving you a backdoor kind of behind the scenes look at being an author. And um, the people who pre-order the book become a part of my author community. And they're going to help me choose um, the cover art for my book and help me choose my author photo. And they'll even have the opportunity to read some pre-released um, chapters that I will be sending to them to get feedback. So um, it's a really cool opportunity. And then anyone who pre-orders the book and becomes a part of my community will actually be listed in the acknowledgements page in my book. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, great. And so um, that's, that's the bulk of, of what the book gets into, but you mm -hmm. also have more to share about your own experience into motherhood. Yeah. Um, so maybe if you can share with us about where you went from there, um, your, how old is your daughter now? The My oldest? daughter is now 20. 20. Wow. Okay, yeah. cool. I did not expect that. Yes, um, yes. Okay. So this was like, this was 2001. While 2001. She was born okay. in 2001. And this all happened around the end of 2000 and the beginning of 2001. She was born in May. Right. Um, and I actually wrote the book a very, I wrote it in 2007. Um, and I was encouraged by my adoptive families because I would tell my story to them all the time. Um, they said, you know, this gives us so much hope that because the whole meaning, the whole purpose of the book is that this was meant to be my child. And as much as I was hell bent on making this happen quicker, I had to wait for her to be born. And I needed to kind of pay attention to all these signs that everything was going wrong in order to wait for her to be born. And so I would tell my adoptive family clients because um, I have a master's degree in counseling psychology and I worked in the adoption field for several years. Um, I would tell them the story to, to kind of, because there's a, a point in the adoption process that is just excruciating. You're waiting, you have no idea what's gonna happen next. You have no idea how long it's going to take. And I would, I would tell them, look, it'll all happen how it's supposed to. And they, you know, people would like cry on the phone with me and say, no, we don't know. And I tell them my story. And they said, you have to write this down. You have to share this story. So I had written it down really just for my daughter. Originally, I, when I wrote the book, I wrote it just because I wanted her to know 
everything we went through to find her. Um, so I, I decided in 2008, I said, well, maybe I will. And I read the first chapter and I cried because it was so emotional for me, just even my decision to become a mother and everything else. And I was like, nope, can't do it. Can't edit this because I can't even read it without crying. So I put it back on my computer and it sat there for almost 15 years until last year um, with the pandemic. Um, I, I just wanted to help in some way. And there were just, again, it was the universe kind of guiding me and and there were all these signs that I needed to write. And I was like, you know, I have this book that's sitting on my computer and I pulled it off a hard drive. I lost chapters because it's been sitting in, you know, cyberspace for so long. And, um, and I decided that I really wanted to help families, especially this year, adoption is particularly hard in the US. Um, there just aren't a lot of unwanted babies because people were in lockdown. Um, so. <laughs> unless you were already married, most people weren't together. Um, so it, it's it's kind of an ideal time for it to be coming out, but that's why I pulled it off and decided to edit it and, and have it published now. But um, but what you were asking me is, so, after, so the book ends with my daughter, but then my daughter, when she was about 18 months old, was desperate to have a sibling. And while my husband and I were still you know, kind of, you know, we loved my daughter, of course, and, and it was wonderful. We're like, I don't know if we can handle a second one. But we said, you know, it really wouldn't be fair to raise an only child who really, really wanted a sibling and didn't want to be an only child. So we decided, okay, we would try again. And at that point, we did go to a fertility doctor and said, okay, I had these miscarriages. And they started testing my blood every three days. Um, and I would get pregnant every month but I miscarried and my miscarriages got sooner and sooner and sooner. So after, I don't know, about eight months or so um, of being pregnant every single month, I just said, this is ridiculous. Well, my body clearly doesn't want to handle a pregnancy. Why am I doing this? So we called the adoption agency we adopted my daughter through and said, okay, we want another one. And we ended up adopting a son and, um, and I always tell the story because it's so, it's so funny. Um, he was the easiest baby that ever lived, thank God, um, because we were a little overwhelmed. Um, and when, until he learned to walk. And when he was about 13 months old, he learned to walk. And whereas my daughter had been very gentle um, and never a problem when she learned to walk in his toddler, my son would throw everything that he could reach on the floor. And he would go to his dresser and he emptied every drawer. And, um, you know, I have pictures of him sitting with all of his clothes and piles around him on the floor. Um, and my husband and I looked at each other and we're like, what have we done? Um, how did we get here? <laughs> and um, at that point, um, I went to go see a friend of mine who had children the same age. And she said, you know, I wanted to tell you that we've decided to have a third. And I said, that's really funny because my husband and I were just talking last night and we decided that we really don't want a third, <laughs> that we're really in way over our heads with two. And she started talking about being pregnant and how she doesn't, she's not looking forward to being nauseous for nine months again. And I said, you know, it's really strange because I've been really nauseous for the last two weeks. And she said, well, maybe you're pregnant. And I said, I'm not pregnant. There's no way I'm pregnant. You know, I had like those 10 miscarriages. And she said, well, maybe you are. And she said, when was the last time you had a period? And I said, I don't know. You know, I stopped keeping track. Um, so for two weeks, she called me every day and she said, 
have you gotten your period yet? And I was like, no. And she said, well, have you taken a pregnancy test yet? And I was like, no. And after two weeks, she said, okay, Jennifer, I am buying a pregnancy test and I'm going to come and sit in your bathroom until you pee on it. And I will be there every time you go to the bathroom until you do this. And I was like, fine, I'll take a test. And I was pregnant. And then I refused to go to the doctor because I was like, well, my body doesn't want to maintain a pregnancy. Why am I going to, I'm not, I'm not going to mess with this. I'm just going to miscarry anyway. So I didn't go to the doctor for a long time. And eventually same friend was like, Jennifer, you have to go to the doctor. So I went to the doctor and they said, oh, you know, because of your problems with miscarriage, we want to put you on heparin. We want to put you on all these things. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I have, I'm done. I have a boy and a girl. I'm happy. If this baby wants to live, he's going to have to fight for it. And, and he did. Um, so I now have three. <laughs> Well, it sounds like at that point, you had this new awareness that I'm trying to think of how to word this. I don't know, because I it is important to fight for the things that you want, but there is also this like letting go. I feel like you ultimately got to that where yeah. it's like, she was meant to be my daughter and all of this other stuff, all of this stress I was putting myself through, it was just like, Sorry. I just, had to, I just had to wait and, and she was always coming to me. And it sounds like with this pregnancy, that was kind of how, how it, it turned out for you too. It was just it, like, yeah. I mean, if it's really meant to be like, let's stop, like, you know, throwing all I'm these fighting things. it. Yeah, like stop fighting it and just and let nature do its thing. Exactly. And and, and I and I talk about um, you know, whenever anybody asks me about the book, because they say, Oh, this is a book for adoptive families. And yeah, it is. But at the same time, it's really for anyone because particularly after writing the book or rewriting the book, um, I feel like the story, yes, this it's a, on the surface, it's a story about adopting my daughter. But it's really a story about, about me and about me learning to listen to the universe and me learning to kind of go with the flow because I am very hard headed and I, I definitely have strong opinions about things. But even just the journey of writing the book was about listening to the universe and um, that there are all these signs, you know, that were thrown at me that this was not right. You know, everything that happened to me and I believe me, I fought and pushed through everything that happened in Vietnam. And I was just bound and determined that I was going to make this happen. And I, I couldn't make it happen because it wasn't meant to be. Right. Well, and so with when you got pregnant, was there anything that was different? I mean, obviously you had two children, so mm -hmm. it maybe was more stressful <laughs> was there anything about like your diet or lifestyle or like any practices that you had started to incorporate? Like, you know, meditation? not that I'm aware of, okay. um, you know, they, there's kind of a conventional wisdom in adoption. Um, when we adopted um, a lot and, and even after I got pregnant, it seemed like everyone would tell me, oh, that always happens. Now it doesn't always happen. <laughs> <laughs> it does happen some of the time. And I guess it happens enough of the time that people see it as this is a really common thing um, that, you know, people or women are under so much stress to get pregnant that that's why they can't get pregnant. And once they have an adopted child and there's no longer any stress there that they get pregnant. Now, 
I don't know if that was the case for me or not. I wouldn't say that I was particularly less stressed when I did get pregnant. Um, I don't know. Maybe I was just happier with who I was and psychologically um, that was why my body was okay with it. I, I don't really know. Um, you know, it's, I, at the time, I do remember trying to figure that out and trying to figure out what happened here? Why, why would this happen now um, that my body was okay with it? But, um, but I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's very, I've heard that a lot too. And I'm sure it's probably kind of annoying to people that, that adopt that. It's like, Oh, just adopt a baby and then you'll get pregnant. It's like, okay, <laughs> that's not really how it works, but I, yeah, it, I mean, to me, it, it sounds like that letting go process, but I can't, I mean, I have a 16 month old daughter and mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine having two <laughs> little ones and that that is a stress relieving time, you know? So it's right. interesting that you got pregnant and it, yeah, there was a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my boys are almost exactly two years apart. The, their birthdays are five days apart. Um, so, you know, he was only 15 months old when I got pregnant. Um, and my daughter was only three and a half, almost four. So yeah, I mean, I had two toddlers. Um, <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> um, yeah, and and remember, my husband and I both didn't want kids. So we went from literally five years. We went from not ever wanting kids at all to we have three, and we did. There were definitely nights that we looked at each other and said, "How did we get here?" Like. <laughs> Um, and, and we still do since now we have, well, until May, we had three teenagers and we're like, how did we get here? <laughs> That's so wild. Um, so yeah, if there, if there's anything else that you want to share about how motherhood has changed you, um, you know, whether it's around the adoption process or getting pregnant or anything. I mean, maybe we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but if there's anything else you wanted to share. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to share a couple of things. First of all, um, for any listeners that you have that are considering adoption, um, I want to make it very clear. I do not think any differently about my biological child than I do about my adopted child, my adopted children at all, ever. In fact, um, the only time it even comes into consciousness is number one, um, because of this book, and and when there's medical issues or something like that, then then obviously it does you know come into my head. But other than that, I for sure don't love my biological child any more than I do my adopted kids at all. And I never even think about the fact that my older two were adopted, and that's despite the fact that one of them is a different race than I am. Um, never even, in fact, she has trouble remembering that she's Asian um, because she grew up in our house and everything else. Um, and it's, to me, however you end up with your children, um, that is much less of a story, even though this is the topic of my book and how we found my daughter and all that, that's not what changed me. What changed me was being a mom and having the kids and watching them grow and learning, you know, these little people and the incredible people that they've become. Um, that's what's changed me, not how they got there. Um, 
it was an incredible story and it makes for a really, really good book, How We Found My Daughter, because it was just so bizarre and so incredible. And I can't even believe the things that I did to get her. Um, but in, in that process did humble me. Um, I've learned, um, you know, as I expressed, and, and I, I wish there was a word for this. I wish there was a better way to express it, but just to listen to the universe and just that there are these signs that, um, you know, are kind of hard to believe in. My husband's a scientist. Um, he has his degree in nuclear physics. So he's not a big believer in these kinds of things, but, and, and I never was either until I really couldn't deny them. Um, you know, even just the journey to, to write this book, um, it, it was kind of a crazy thing. Um, I had all in the span of one week, I had three different people for random reasons tell me, ask me if I was an author or ask me if I was going to become an author. Now, I've never taken a writing class in my life. Um, I, my degrees are in finance and psychology. Um, I don't know anything about writing, but for some reason, randomly, people ask me that. And at the same time, I had somebody say to me, you know, you are so bored, you need to do something that feeds your soul. And then later that same week, a friend of mine from high school posted on Facebook that he had written a book. And at that point, I said, okay, the universe is talking to me really loudly. <laughs> so I called him and I said, tell me about this. And he said, you've got to join this program, you would love it. And, and it's been fantastic. Um, and it's just an example, but I, I do feel like, um, you know, the whole story of my daughter is this, is just this crazy illustration of that the universe was talking to me and was telling me that this was where I needed to be. And no matter how much I was going to fight it and no matter how much um, I was going to not accept that these things, other situations weren't meant to happen. And, and quite frankly, they could have happened. I mean, I could have been bullheaded enough by the end of the book to say, no, 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 I don't want a domestic baby. I want to adopt internationally and I'm going to wait for the baby in China or for the baby in Cambodia or whatever. And I could have made that choice. Um, but at that point I was like, okay, I need to follow the signs. I need to listen to what the universe is telling me because I think it just makes life easier. So I think I, I really believe that the universe meant for me to have my third son, um, that really my body had very little to do with it, mm -hmm. um, that this was just, it was the time that I, I was supposed to, I was supposed to have three. And if I had had a biological child sooner, believe me, right after he was born, that was when I had the IUD because <laughs> my, my midwife was like, did you want this to happen again? And I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't need four. Um, so I think if he had chosen to be born, if the universe had chosen for him to be born earlier, I wouldn't have had three kids. Um, so that's really the, the true underlying story behind my book um, is that, you know, things happen for a reason and try to listen because you'll just be happier and your life will be easier if you do. Yeah, not, not everything has to be such an uphill battle. Yes. Sounds yes. like. So um, at this point, if there's anything you want to share about where people can find you, like your website, I know you mentioned everything's kind of like under your name, but if you could just kind of Absolutely. That, like where you're most active um, on social media and things like that. Yes. I'm most active on Facebook, although I'm learning to post on uh, LinkedIn and Instagram as well. 
Um, my name is Jennifer Rose Asher, and that is um, how you'll find me pretty much anywhere. My website, I do have a website, journeytomydaughter.com, but you can also get to it by putting in jenniferroseasher.com. Um, I have uh, an author page on Facebook and it's Jennifer Rose Asher author. And that's how you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. Cool. Yeah. And I'll link all of that in the, the show notes too, if um, people want to find you. Yes. So thank and you again, so much for being here today. Was there something else you wanted to share? Yeah. I was just going to say, I don't have a link for the Indiegogo campaign yet, but that will be going live July 22nd. Um, and you'll be able to find that link on any of my social media or on my website. Um, I'm really, really excited. I really, am, I wrote this book because I wanna help people. I wanted to share this story with the world. I wanted to share this story, particularly with women who are struggling and with families who are considering adopting or not sure if that's what they wanna do or if they're in the adoption process. But for any women who are kind of struggling within their lives um, and beyond that, it's just, it's a really fun story to read. Um, but I really did, I, I wrote this because I wanted to help people. So I'm so excited for people to be able to read it. Awesome. And actually this episode is going to be published after July 27th. It'll probably okay. be like September. Oh, so, okay. Um, so if you want to send me that link, I can put that in the show notes for you. So it will be in the show notes for, for when people are listening. Yeah, yeah, because the campaign is only active for 30 days. So after the 30 days, um, you won't be able to pre-order until December. Okay, I may post your episode a little earlier then. That's good that to know. That would be great, that would be so, great. Yeah, so it will be out sometime after July 22nd. <laughs> so when, when you're listening to this, you know it's been published. Yeah. So thank you again, Jennifer, for being thank here. Thank you so so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll be notified of future episodes. And if you feel so called, please give us a rating and a review so other people can find the podcast more easily. Thanks again. Till next time.